comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audiblechild.com slash outnowpodcast. Over 150,000 titles to choose from for your Android, iPhone, Kindle, or MP3 player. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe is not here. He's in Taiwan, actually. He's, he's way out. He's way out of here. But... Anyway, Out Now is a film podcast. Abe and I are discussing new movies weekly. However, every now and then, depending on either a lack of a new release or we just feel like doing something else, we like to do a bonus episode such as this one, which is another commentary. We know the listeners of this show love our commentaries, and in honor of X-Men Days of Future Past, which arrives in theaters this Memorial Day, we're going to do an episode commentary on X-Men 2000, the, Brian, the original X-Men film directed by Brian Singer. And joining me to discuss X-Men, we have from Forbes, the uncanny Scott Mendelson. Greetings! From the Nothing's On podcast, as well as other podcasts on HHWLOD.com, the mighty Jim Dietz. Why, thank you. And from Wise to Blue and the Naptown Nerd, it is the spectacular Brandon Peters. Hello, I'm happy to be here talk, discussing the 2000 film X-Men, directed by Brian Singer, starring Hugh Jackman. Thanks. <laughs> thank you for all that. Pretty simple, uh, we're going to... Just talk about the movie um, for people that want to watch the movie while listening to our lovely voices. And Brandon, you can. I'm sorry. You can. Um, <laughs> you, you can uh, sync the movie up. We have it all paused currently at 10 seconds into the film, at least on my copy. I have the Blu-ray copy of X-Men. 10 seconds in, which is where the 20th Century Fox logo. The 20th Century Fox is basically like staring you in the face at this point. And so that's where we all have it paused, and we're just going to kind of count down from three and press play and just talk about the movie. So, you know, if you want to follow along, that's how you do it. Otherwise, just feel free to listen in on our conversation about this movie, X-Men. I don't like, I keep wanting to call it X-Men 2000 since all the all have subtitles. But anyway, X2K. X2K. There we go. There, go. there you go. X2K. All right. So I'm going to count down from three and say go. And on the sound of go, we'll all press play and we'll get going. Okay? All right. There we go. Three, two, one, go. So, Duggery Scott sucks to be him. Yep. <laughs> the Mission Impossible 2 is a wildly heralded classic, so it's all good. Yes. Before, before we get past this, the, everyone should watch the X, because the X stays lit up for yep. half a second longer than everything else, mm-hmm. which I always like. Got it. Yep. Oh! <laughs> they, have, they haven't done that in the last couple X-Men movies, though, which is kind of annoying me <laughs> a little bit. I watch for it. Right. It just ruins the whole film. It does. They stink. <laughs> Um, all right. They, they didn't get the X right at the beginning. The fight is supposed to fade a little less than the others, so terrible. Something I like about these X-Men movies, these first two, anyway, these intros. I like the Xavier kind of, like, presents a little nugget of information, and uh, then we jump into these kind of elaborate Fox intros. Seemed very classic for Fox at this point, where they had all these animated intros, like Fight Club. That's like one that's very similar that I always think of when I watch X-Men. Well, I think all the, all the su- early superhero movies followed this, because yeah, Spider-Man yeah. had something similar, Hulk had something similar. Daredevil? Don't, did Daredevil have something Daredevil like did. It had, it, had, it had a cool oh, kind of Braille did. intro sequence. Okay, yeah. So this was like the mo- this was like standard for the Marvel movies at this point. 
Well, I mean, at this point, there really wasn't a standard. There was Blade and then this. I mean, you yeah. made a really good point in your retrospective. I've been reading your retrospective on the X-Men movies, uh, Brendan. And, I mean, a lot of people, you know, say that this or Raimi was, you know, Raimi's Spider-Man was the real breakthrough. But actually, the first Marvel movie uh, universe film was Blade. And that was really the, this and, uh, you know, really opened the door for, for this to be made, you know. If I, if I could compare it to, like, let's say the slasher genre, like, Blade would be, like, Christmas and no pun into that. Um, Black Christmas. <laughs> um, and then this one, X Men would be kind of Halloween, and then Spider Man would have been the Friday the Thirteenth. Where just boom, there it went with that one. It's mm. a good way to put it. Interesting analogy. With that said, I of the th- of those three, I like Blade the most. I know Scott, you're a big fan of the first Spider Man film. I I, I am. I'm, I'm curious to hear what you think about this X Men movie, which we should you know do in a second. But Blade was the <laughs> one that always. Because I, I like this movie, and I like Spider-Man, but Blade was the one that I actually responded to in a cool way, because I thought it was just, in terms of what these movies were trying to do, that one stuck out to me as something different. It was R-rated, it had a you know a black male lead, it involved vampires, you don't see that happen, and it's still a comic book movie, and it had a lot of, it had, I mean, it has one of the more memorable scenes of many comic book movies at that time, with the whole intro techno rave scene. The Blood scene. Club. The blood, the blood Club, yeah. Mm-hmm. There was yeah. just a lot of things about the Blade that stuck out to me, and like pretty much a last kind of call for Wesley Snipes as an actor. Well, <laughs> the, with Blade, there was no like preconceived notions or expectations for yes, that. Because yeah. who, who was huge Blade fans going into that? I mean, and there the was comic a character was. Uh, oh, I was going to say the comic character was kind of a, a shaft ripoff from uh, Marv Wolfman during his run of Tomb on uh, Tomb of Dracula. That kind of evolved over the years, so I mean, they, they were pretty much able to cut it from whole cloth that fit Wesley Snipes. You it's know, funny how that one demeanor. It's funny how that one came out uh, in terms of like comic book movies that people were trying to get made, and like I, I'd imagine only Spider-Man and X-Men and others were just like still in development hell and trying to you know work on how to make it work. Whereas Blade is just like, yeah, Wesley Snipes wants to do some kung fu and kick vampire ass, so yeah, let's make a, let's let that happen. <laughs> well, it plays as kind of like a feeler movie to see if there is an audience for this stuff. I guess so. And yeah. as superhero movies go, it's not really uh, special effects intensive. I mean, not in the way X-Men or Spider-Man would be. For sure. With all that said, let's get to X-Men now, since we're watching it. We're watching this very harrowing scene of young Magneto being ripped from his family and using magnetic powers against the Nazis. Um, general thoughts? Let's hear it from Scott. I haven't heard from you. Well, I mean, obviously this was, especially back in 2000, this was an incredibly unusual way to start a comic book movie. Uh, you know, this was back in 2000, back when, when most people thought of comic book movies, they thought of, you know, Batman and Robin, basically. Uh, you know, The Phantom or, or uh, Dick Tracy. The Shadow. The Shadow. You know, you weren't thinking of a very serious straight drama that opened in a concentration camp. Um, and that was very intentional. Now, of course, I'm you know, this was back in 2000. I actually read the script for this film before the film came out, um, back when that those things can be found on the internet. Um and this scene was actually preceded by, or, or followed by two origin story scenes for Cyclops and then for Storm before you even get to this Anna Paquin sequence. Um, but nonetheless, you know, this X-Men movie is interesting, along with the third one, and then it has basically two prologues before you get to the you know, the meat of the story. The third one also, you have the young Magneto and young Xavier, you know, recruiting Jean Grey, and then you have the origin story for uh, Angel. Angel cutting off his wings, and then you get to the actual story. This is the same way. You have basically two prologues before you get to the meat. Um, I would argue, though, that this movie handles it a lot better than Last Stand. Now, yes. what we can talk about Last Stand 
later. But this, is, which this is, isn't really a, a time jump with the Rogue. I mean, this is, yeah, a, yeah, a prologue, but it's... It's part of our current timeline story. Yeah, the, the, the angel thing is a, is another flash. It's like two flashbacks before you get to um, the main. It, yeah, it feels less like an elegant way to introduce characters and more of like a previously on X-Men, except there was never a previously on segment. And so you're just yes. getting this kind of yeah. like clumped together story bits just to make sure that you know what's going to happen. Later, or you're from you're not out of you're not out of touch of what's going on later on when the characters arrive again. And, you know, it, it, it's it's it's. Striking watching this, you know, again, especially in 2000, people that weren't, you know, in fact, before, you know, comic books were somewhat less mainstream, you know, this plays like a, you know, it's a straight drama. You know, part of the, yeah, this entire movie plays as much as it can like a straight drama where occasionally people fight each other. Now, there's very little, and I don't mean this as a criticism, there's very little action in this film. Yeah. Apart because of the budget, because, yes. you know, uh, Rothman didn't have much faith in the project. And part of that is because, you know, it's, 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 well, the, yeah, it's, act, yeah, go ahead. The, well, the action scenes are, they're, they're pretty memorable. And maybe some of that is because it's focused. It's not like outlandish, extravagant. Yes. Let's see how much we can do. It's, it's focused. It's character centric action. And it, I'd say minimalist, um, with its setting settings. And that's how a lot of the sequences, you know, I remembered them from this movie. Like I was, I was like, oh, remember the the subway scene? That was awesome. Or the scene where Wolverine flew out of the um, the uh, windshield. Well, flew oh, out the, the, windshield. the windshield. Okay, yeah, later and, on. Yeah, and, you know those sequences because they were so tight and focused. And a lot today is just how big can we go? Well, I think it comes from again not seeing many of these movies at that time, and you have a kind of you re, you have more of your recall of the first time you saw X-Men on the big screen and obviously those are scenes that stand out because that's the first time you got to see the X-Men on the big screen True. Com- combined with seeing money shots of Wolverine like using his claws to 360 spin around the Statue of Liberty's horn on the head like there's yes it it comes down to what Brian Singer was you know really working with like he's proven himself to be actually a pretty good action director which is you know, expanded upon tenfold in X2, I would say. I, I mean, that movie has just tremendous action sequences all around while still being able to balance in characters, as many as there may be, which is always my issue with every single one of these X-Men movies. But. <laughs> um, I, want, I, really, I want to shut up Bruce Davison. He's one of my favorite character actors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's been in a million movies. I'm going back to Longtime Companion in the 80s and, and millions of things in between. He was in a documentary recently called uh, That Guy Who Was In That Thing about these working character actors. Hmm. And uh, he said that uh, it depend- at different age groups he uh, he ran into, that's who recognized him. You know, some recognized him from you know, older movies and X-Men or whatever, but I just wanted to mention that. And real quick, you know, the X-Men metaphor, I think it made a really good choice for one of the first Marvel movies coming out because it applies to so many things. I mean, it applies to, of course, to you know the, the Nazis' uh, anti-Semitism. It can also apply to teenage alienation, to, to racism, to, to uh, homophobia. I mean, to so many different groups that feel like outsiders and outcasts that I felt that that's why... You know, one of the reasons they went with this, you know, uh, as one of the early Marvel movies is because that metaphor is so resonant. It doesn't, true, hurt, it, it doesn't hurt that you have an openly gay director involved with this movie as well. That's true, too. Yeah, and they also, I mean, they were building for this. With, I mean, they had a cartoon series that was quite popular on Fox in the 90s, too, so they were grooming young audiences to, you know, be the right age when this came out, and boom. I, I don't know if it was planned that way, but it just happened to work. I, I'd like well, so, selling alienation to teenagers is like you know shooting fish in a barrel. But I really <laughs> yeah. agree. This is 
this is like, you know, this is, you know, the, the high point of the X-Men's fame in the 90s, especially in the comics. Uh, and you say, you know, like you mentioned, the cartoon was incredibly popular on Fox Kids. So, you know, they were, you know, more of a known quantity than they definitely were you know, in the 80s or, or before that. Yeah, well, you have kind of the X-Men comics that are, you know, more higher regarded now, such as obviously Days of Future Past, which is, you know, now going to be a movie. And, you know, um, the Dark Phoenix Saga and Wolverine, Wolverine's Origins, which are comics, you know, that are, Earlier on, the 90s, yeah, was kind of the heyday of, like, X-Men fame, like, in terms of comics and cartoons and, you know, making things accessible for all audiences. So then it, I could see why you'd want to turn out a film based on that, because a lot of people that watched it at that time grew up, and it's like, now what? And we got an X-Men movie out of it. They even oh. had a t- TV movie, too, with... Uh, the Generation the, X. Generation X, yeah, with Matt Boy. Brewer. Boy. Well, I, I think this film, you know, it played to... Not just the people that like the the comic book, but the people that grew up on the arcade game, yes. or you know, as yep. you mentioned, the cartoon. I think there's an entire generation, arguably the generation that is now, you know, drowning in you know, in, in comic book movie, you know, movies, were you know drawn to these characters not because they knew about the comic books, but because they watched the cartoons when they were kids. Oh yeah, I agree. You know, yeah. uh, the same thing oh, with, with uh, you know, if Justice League hits any more than, you know, obviously it's going to, I mean, it's Justice League, you know, it won't be because, oh, people love the comic book characters. No, it's because they grew up watching Justice League Unlimited, or they grew up watching Young Justice. And, you know, I complain a lot about how Batman, you know, is, or DC, Warner Brothers, you know, it focuses too much on Batman, especially in their animated properties, and that's one of the reasons, is that, you know, the, the you expose the kids in animated form to the universe as a whole, and that gets them hooked for the movies. Um, for me, I had never read an X-Men comic book in my life before this film came out. But I knew who all these characters were, I knew a little bit about their history, and I knew enough to go, oh, that's neat. I you know, for I sure. recognize yeah. that scene from the cartoon. Yeah, see, I, I started, the, the cartoon started me, and then I, I went to the comic from there. And I was like, I was reading everything with the X in it from Marvel. <laughs> it was... Oh, I, I had a healthy mix because I, I which read in the nineties were a lot of books. <laughs> yeah, X Factor, X Force, X Men twenty ninety nine, X Uncanny X Men, like Wolverine. I, just I had I had a healthy mix of comics when I was young. I was reading a lot of <laughs> Spider Man when I was younger, and I you know I watched a lot of the kind of older even the I mean because I managed to find a way to watch the some of the older cartoons and stuff like the old X Men cartoons like because I was always a huge Nightcrawler fan. Nightcrawler has always been my favorite X Men, and so it's. It comes from, you know, reading a lot of comic books and things like that. And then, yeah, obviously the 90s happened. And I can't tell you how excited I was when the 90s cartoon of X-Men had an X- a Nightcrawler arc on it. I was like, oh, my God, taping that one. Got to watch that game again and again. <laughs> well, wasn't there also a really popular Sega Genesis game? Uh, there yeah, was there was X-Men. a Sega oh, yeah. game. I don't Is know if it was really popular. <laughs> but there well, was... I thought, I mean, they advertised the crap out of it when they, back when, you know, they would advertise games on TV with, like, live-action actors and the commercials and stuff. Uh-huh, okay. And then, and then there was also a, a Wolverine game on uh, NES, too, that was, well, kind back, of, it was back, a hard um, game, but... Back, back, you, you younger guys might not remember this, but there used to be these places called arcades. <laughs> And True. one of the most popular yeah. games back in the day was the, uh, the four-player X-Men. The four-player X-Men. X-Men. No, it was, okay. awesome. it was uh, six, you know, total it was classic. A, it was six-player X-Men arcade. Oh, that's right. It was, it was well, a there was huge arcade yeah. game. I, well, it, it depended. Kind of... You could you could find four-player rendition, six-player, and two-player. There was all they had all different sizes of it. And yeah, yeah, I, I used to go to putt putt and just you know I didn't well, golf. I just put well, my quarters. Yeah. I put my quarters into X-Men. 
And Nightcrawler was one of the playable characters. Yes. <laughs> yep. As and well that as Dazzler. Basically my introduction to the X-Men world. Um, you know, I mean, I, I had vaguely knew who they were because there was a Nintendo game based on the X-Men and I'd read about Nintendo Power. But for all intents and purposes, I was introduced to these characters from the video game. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think is, is why one of the reasons why this film was successful is that it kept, you know, obviously there's not a ton of characters in this, but they kept the ones that the you know general audiences knew. You know, Wolverine, Storm, Cyclops, Magneto, Professor Xavier. You know, they didn't have, you know, for, you know Mr. Sinister or Apocalypse or, you know, frankly, characters that you guys probably know that I've never heard of. You know, they, they didn't kept really it cram either. They didn't yes. just throw a bunch in here. Let's, uh, let's pause for a second because I want to talk about Hugh Jackman, tiny Hugh Jackman, and his very good-looking claws, which are somehow better than X-Men Origins Wolverine. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Most things are. Yeah. I mean, what's that, 2009? Yeah. Yes. How, nine years later, somehow the claws were not go- are, as yeah, good they as they are in this movie. <laughs> I remember I remember the great fan hue and cry that Hugh Jackman was too tall, uh, well, I- you know, not, not Canadian-looking enough, uh, <laughs> you know, all the different things. But I mean, and I, I mean, years later, they obviously were right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, it's it's funny too because I mean, obviously the biggest concern was we'd never seen the guy in anything. Yeah, yeah, that right. was really it. And he just, you know, when they showed pictures of him, you know, he wasn't Wolverined up. You know, when they get cast, he, a lot of people were pushing for Russell Crowe to be, you know, Wolverine. He had Doug Ray Scott, he got dropped out, and then you go with Hugh Jackman, who at the time was more like who Jackman. Because, <laughs> you know, he's getting the biggest role in the, of the X-Men and the most probably the most important going in because he's the most popular character. Fox certainly thinks so. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, come on, Wolverine, X-Men. I mean, that's he's he's your Batman of the X-Men. I mean, yes. obviously. I mean, uh, yeah, everybody I, I knows... don't deny his popularity, that's for sure. <laughs> so, I mean, when you go into cast, he's the most important one. And you give it to a, a, a nobody, which is always smart to do with these. And he honestly... His performance, he just nails it. I mean, he was he was brilliant when this movie came out. It worked because, I mean, obviously he was very good. That goes without saying, although it should be repeated. He's He and Anna Paquin are excellent in this film. They have wonderful chemistry together. And their relationship is why the film works as well as it does. And it's, it's, it's tricky because it's, it's not, obviously it's not romantic. At least not from his point of view. No. Because he's a dummy. Um... <laughs> But it's also it's not really paternalistic. It, it's it's a genuine a friendship between a somewhat well much older man. I don't know how old he actually is in this film, and you know a teenage girl. It it, it never feels paternalistic. It never feels you know pederastic, pedophilic, whatever you want to call it. it it's just a friendship. It's 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 you know two lost souls bonding in a genuinely platonic relationship. I mean, I would um, I would say based on. With the exception of a of an accent choice, I think everyone in this cast is generally terrific in this movie in terms yes, of what yeah. you're trying to James do. James Marsden is a terrific Cyclops. He's, yes. I mean, perfect. He certainly I would, <laughs> I would make my one exception that Angela Bassett should have been Storm. I, yeah, I everybody saying, thought so. I, I, <laughs> yeah, know, I know I was like the general consensus at the time, but I mean, I mean, come on. But he, I mean, well, to, well, to be fair, back when I was, you know, 13, 14, 15, she was probably the only black actress I could name off the top of my head. Um... So, you know, to a certain extent, I mean, yeah, I'm sure she would have been great. Um, but I think Hugh Jackman works in this film because he's surrounded by Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen and, and, and yes, Halle Berry, who was somewhat of a name back then. She wasn't a huge star per se, but she was a recognizable name. 
Right. Um, so they didn't, you know, pull a, you know, pull a John Carter where you throw in Taylor Kitchen, basically leave him stranded on an island by himself. Um, <laughs> you know, they gave, you know, they, they sold the movie on, hey, look, it's Patrick Stewart is, as Professor X, who, you know, he was the most obvious choice in the history of the world. Which, it was, it which was, also yeah. makes the most sense in terms yeah, exactly. of casting. Like, who else would you replace him? Everybody <laughs> said Patrick Stewart had to play Professor X and Mr. Freeze. That was like the two yes. two things. To, um, um, to Jackman's credit, too, I mean, you look at like someone like Michael Keaton, who you essentially know as Batman, and you'll always know as Batman, and his career never really, as much as I love Michael Keaton, believe me, I do, peaked. his career, he peaked. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, Hugh Jackman, while he will probably be known as Wolverine, he's made a hell of a career out of, out of the, the yeah. time he's had as an actor in the spotlight. Coming next week to Forbes. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, isn't that, you know, he is arguably one of the last traditional movie stars in that he was able to take this major role and become a full-fledged movie star off of it and get a variety of different films that he you know, he was the lead in and find success in everything from Lame as Rob to Swordfish. Who jumped during this scene? The first time uh, I saw it, I, I jumped. Um, and no, I mean, it, it, it really was a star-making performance in the best sense of the world, in the best sense of the word, and in a sense that really you don't see that much of anymore. Um, yeah, because this movie's so ground, it, 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 a lot of it does come down to kind of the budget and the fact that, you know, effects are what they are, which I think they're, you know, mostly good in this movie. They're fine. But, um, yeah, it, Brian, having someone like Brian Singer and having David Hayter and, you know, the 18 different screenwriters that all put this thing together eventually, like, it, <laughs> it, um, it's this kind of Frankenstein monster movie that ended up working really well for what it's trying to do. I always think of it as a, it does feel a lot like an origin movie to me that's going to lead to bigger and better things, which it does because mm -hmm. we can talk about X2 all day and how good that movie is. But as much as I I find it, you know, a good movie, bordering on great for me, not a great movie, but just about there, it it works because it's so grounded in character. Like, it, it does what it needs to establish who these people are to the best it kind of can. Well, and, and for its first it act, it is incredibly naturalistic. Yeah. Yeah. Now I think you know for better or worse I think it's two act is is it's act two and act three they kind of lose that naturalism a little bit you know it, it it flirts with camp and it, I think part of that is just to sort of you have you know Wolverine acting as the audience surrogate saying look at how ridiculous all this all is for sure um and that was perhaps but, a necessary evil at that time yeah well it's kind of I think well, it, com you, it comes as a result, and you can argue this is kind of the problem with Spider-Man movies as well, but, like, it comes as a result of these actors, this this stuff is so grounded in, like, a level of reality, despite the powers on display, that when you get to the, oh, yeah, we also have a supervillain that's trying to destroy out New York or whatever, it, yeah. it meshes in a way that feels very obvious. So you have these two different things combining where it's like, yeah, there's this giant thing happening, but also these are still real people that you've been following for the majority of the, of the, uh, the movie. Um. Well, one of the things I like about this film and why it works is that Magneto's plan is relatively small scale 
I mean, yeah, it's yeah. Has huge implications, and it actually makes sense. It's a good idea from his point of view. It's actually very similar to the Lizard's Plan in Amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> well, yes and no. And but, it was kind of cribbed from a graphic novel by Christopher Claremont called God Loves Man Kills yeah. um, from X-Men in the 80s. But um, great. I like. I love this action sequence here with uh, we first see Storm's powers. This and instead of you know them through exposition like oh well I can I have animal senses you know they just have like a, a you know a close you know close up on him sniffing and kind of looking around and things and um, I, I appreciate that instead of someone you know standing there and telling me what their powers are and whatnot. Uh, Aaron, I, I want to go back. You said you know borderline on great, um, but good movie. But I, I think for me. Back, I, this was a great movie back then, but you know, it had little competition. Mm-hmm. And since so many superhero movies have lapped it, that it's it's sort of I don't think it can be appreciated as it was back in 2000 anymore. I think it's still a good movie. I think I still enjoy it, but like so much has been done in its wake that I, I don't think it's you know going back. It's as strong as it once was. That's yeah, that's I agree with you, and it's not even because I think so many other movies are better than it, which they are at this point. I mean, just to be frank, I mean, there's a lot of other great, better superhero movies now. Yeah. But uh, including, you know, again, the sequel. Um, but what? Why I say it's you know good and not great is because that's the reaction I've always had to it. I walked out of X Men being like, all right, that was an X Men movie. I never really, and I said the same reaction to Spider Man, which is again why I didn't. I had a better reaction to Blade for whatever reasons. Um. I I could delve into why, but I think it'll just be long winded. But it just the 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 basic reasoning is it just that's just how it that's how my gut told that's what my gut told me. It's just like yeah, all right, that was fun. Like it had a lot of mutants in there. Some of them I enjoy more than others, and it did what it did. The action was decent. At the you know this is coming out of '99, where The Matrix is my favorite movie of all time, or whatever, <laughs> next to along with Fight Club and a couple of others. But in terms of action movies, it's like all right, that was that was an X Men movie. What what are we gonna do next? And so yeah, it it did kind of leave me wanting more, I guess, which is good. But it never left me with a feeling of man, that was a superhero movie that I just couldn't miss. Like, yeah. Well, I think I, it it works. I mean, it's a very entertaining film, and the character interaction is almost completely successful. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I did you know without really even intending to, I saw this one. You know, I saw it three times in theaters, and I was. In, completely entertained throughout. Yeah, I could tell that there were compromises. I mean, it's 96 minutes long without credits. That tells you something right there. Mm-hmm. Um, Back when um, superhero movies could be short like that. Yeah, and, <laughs> and somehow The Last Stand was like, what, two minutes longer and had way more mutants in it. That made sense, yes. right? Yeah. Well, the first, the first three of the first four movies are like an hour 40. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's kind of it, it's strange, obviously, because mm-hmm. now they have to be two hours or two and a half. Well, and I think if, if any superhero film is going to be insanely long, it should be an X Men movie. Yeah, I remember you know two and and first class, they really they're long, but they don't feel long. They feel relaxed. Yeah, they're yeah. not rushing. Mm-hmm. And these films, you know, part one and to a certain extent part three, they feel a little rushed, a little bit. Part three is um, quite a bit rushed. Yeah, it yeah. is. And I think we're all the, or at least I think Brandon Scott and I, we don't hate X three. We no, uh, not we, at all. It's, Fine. It's not terrible, Jim. Do you have strong opinions on X three? I didn't. I didn't appreciate it as much as the first two. Oh, for sure. No. Oh, no. Yeah, I, 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 I had some really glaring flaws to me, and of the trilogy, it's definitely the weakest entry. Oh, I yeah, think. for sure. Like all of that, I can agree with. It's just not yeah. a movie where I 
it, I, I don't know if I have the trail for it. I don't know if I care enough about it to have that much hate for it. You for know sure. what I mean? I, yeah. Yeah. It certainly botches a lot of key elements that were being carefully set up by by what uh, mm-hmm. Brian Singer was bringing to the table and makes me well, regret it, the idea that he had... And it took a lot of some of the best story elements from the comics and just kind of, you know, like, like the mutant cure, instead of that being like a really cool moral dilemma for some of the mutants that could have played out well as a story beat, it ended up just being a gun. Yeah. You yeah, know, well, that, I mean, that's a good a example A lot of things there. could have been their own movies in there. They were just cramming. I mean, is it... Is it a good X-Men movie? No. Is it a good movie for this where this franchise was going? No. But is it on its own just some solid superhero action entertainment that's watchable and entertaining? Yeah. But I mean, it's a total reactionary movie. Like everything that like that movie is a result of things that were going around outside the production more so than being the production it wanted to be. I mean, you know, Brian Singer leaves, you bring Brett Ratner in late. So you got to just force what's going through. He's just there to, you know, do his job, make an entertaining action movie. Here's you a have, that's first, first Kitty Pride. Pride. Yeah, X Men Origins Kitty Pride right there. Um, One thing that always struck me about that sequence is you see Jubilee for a second. Yeah. Yeah. And in this film where none of the characters really looked like their comic book counterparts, she looks exactly like her comic book counterpart. Yeah. Well, she had lines cut from the film. There's yeah. actually deleted scenes. There was more teen stuff going on. Yeah. Because yeah. you had to involve Iceman and Adam Paquin. And... Yeah. So. Well, there's yeah. a nice, there's a classroom scene with Storm where she sort of sets up Magneto's plan by talking about who I believe it was Constantine that converted to Christianity yeah. and then, you know, made Christianity the mainstream religion, which of course foreshadows what Magneto's trying to do. Um, <laughs> the Cyclops, war- like, there's no reason for him to be a dick. <laughs> <He is. No>. <laughs> um. Sorry, <laughs> I, I no, agree, no, Brandon. I loved I loved Marston as Cyclops. I thought he nailed yeah. it just right. That you know that kind of priggishness, uh, you know, cross pollinated with a sense of duty. I thought he was really well cast. And Famke Jensen too. I mean, he's yes. been great in the first two f- first two films. Again, I think that I mean, even I as much as like I prefer someone else, maybe for because it have to be like a younger Angela Bassett. It have to be like Angela Bassett after what Love got to do with her or something like that. Like he. Yeah. So for I mean, sorry to say it, but she, given the uh, the rest of this casting in this movie, she is kind of old for the part at that point. That's kind of yeah. what I walked away with. At the same time, she Halle Berry did not need to try to do an African accent. Like that was not necessary. No, well they drop it, but I know. Yeah, they just get rid of gone. it. It's like what what, what African accents? <laughs> and I I frankly think Halle Berry is pretty good next to. Yeah. I have no yeah. problem with her performance in that film. Uh, partially because you get actually get something to do with with Nightcrawler. Yeah, she actually has a relationship that matters. Um, and look how young Hugh Jackman! <laughs> like he look how young Patrick young. Stewart looks. Yeah, that's what I was gonna yeah. say. How young he is. I mean, he McKellen, McKellen to a certain extent. He looks younger yeah. than his digital mock-up in X Men yes. Origins Wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> Most things do. Which again, you know, I think I'm the only person that will defend to an extent, but not you very know, hard. Wait till you read my article tomorrow. It's yeah, okay. not. It's not. It's not very mean spirited. So I don't think that movie's terror. I I just I've said this I, a lot. I just think it came out in the wrong decade. If it was it an eight, you're right. My you're wife right. is still mad at me for making her watch that movie years later. <laughs> if it was, I, I'm not kidding. I made her. We were on vacation when it came out in uh, uh, Geneva on the Lake, and I was like, "Well, let's go see this new X Men movie." If, and she is still mad at me for making her watch that. Movie. If you well, saw if you saw Predator Rambo. First Blood Part Two, yep. and then X Men Origins Wolverine. You just feel perfect. Well, I I, told, I said, um, like, Aaron, the first two thirds of the movie, a good portion of that is like, take any like Van Damme or Seagal movie from the late '80s, early '90s, by way of uh, Schwarzenegger's Commando, and and have Wolverine star, and that's pretty much what you have. Yeah, 
Is it neat to uh, see like how like the Fast and Furious series has like a strong devotion to its franchise continuity, yet X Men has like none, <laughs> and, and somehow it, it's still going and still viable. Like people are just like, yeah, I guess we can. Like Pyro's not the same. None of these actors yeah. are like nearly the same because they didn't think about these things ahead of time. No, they didn't. And and like even plot because I don't even know what's gonna happen in Doff. Once after you know the events of X three and how they're going to incorporate those things, like it's just so like out there in terms of like and even first class where it like messes around with the kind con- like it just yeah. doesn't seem to. It's not that it doesn't want to try. It's just more of it's oak. It's very it's it's very relaxed about not adhering yeah. to what previous films did in order to make things work. Well, I guess that- part of the problem too is is Last Stand where they just you know plop up. Oh, this is it. End of the trilogy. There you go. And and it's very forced, rushed, and they made a lot of mistakes going forward with future continuity with things they did in Last Stand. I remember the night I saw X-Men First Class, I came home from the screening, and this X-Men movie happened to be on FX, because it's always on FX. And it happened to be this scene where he's going through this reams of exposition. I was like, that's now wrong. That's now wrong. (laughs) That's now false. Um... One thing I liked about this film, and I didn't know this, but I found out later, is that this is the first time we've ever seen the the institute as an actual school yeah. with children actually attending classes. Which to me yeah. is kind of like something very logical, but apparently they've never done that in the comics before. Up until this point. Yeah, they never really treat it like a boarding school slash like yeah. extracurricular activities that involve your genes. It was like one of the things I loved about, you know, Sherlock Holmes Game of Shadows is you actually had Professor Moriarty teaching <laughs> in a classroom. Being a professor. Yeah, being a mathematics professor, which opens all kinds of, you know, bad jokes, but moving on. Um, uh, (laughs) I, yeah, it is nice to see the actual, it's a great, like, I mean, again, limited budget or what, like, the house looks like there's so much good stuff done in terms of adapting an X-Men comic book movie with what resources they had, because, I mean, the School for the Gifted looks like the Xavier School for the Gifted. Yes, it does. (laughs) I mean, this kind of, uh, this style reflected back into the comics too. At this time period after the movie, they, you know, they moved away from the spandex and they all started wearing, you know, um, black leather, much like they were in the movie. Um, you know, Xavier School, like, like you said, you know, was presented as more of a, as a school for gifted children, not just a cover. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it's, you know, one influences the other and then it reflects back. I want to talk about Rebecca Romaine's name. Sorry, just Rebecca Romaine. Um, cause I think she's maybe one of the most underrated actresses in this entire series. Yeah, oh, she's uh, great. I, 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 you wouldn't think to say that, like just saying the name Rebecca Romaine, but I think she's absolutely terrific as Mystique. And I think it's a more complicated role than it seems beyond just having to wear a very extensive amount of makeup. And she brings like a weird, creepy vibe with it. That's she does. totally her. It's not the makeup. It's totally her. And it's, it's pretty, it's very impressive as you know, cause I don't Rebecca Romaine. She's not exactly acting in a ton of things. The only thing, the other thing I can think of offhand is Femme Fatale, the Brian De Palma film, Femme Fatale. Which was I, after this. Yes, which I also think is actually a very good movie <laughs> in terms of what it's doing. Um, well, she's so good that, I mean, it's actually heartbreaking in Last Stand when she gets shot with the, the cure and Magneto just leaves her in the cold. Yeah, that's just, one of the, like, four moments of, like, actual pathos, I feel, in that movie is, is yeah, that it's, scene. Which and is, it's, a lot of it's due to her. And, it is, because it feels a little rushed in terms of what you're actually seeing happen, which is this guy who's been, you know, shepherding her through her life as part of the Brotherhood of Mutants. And it's suddenly she's just being abandoned by this by her by her father figure, by her mentor figure, yeah. by her possible lover, which is, a, which is implied quite a bit throughout the series that Magneto and Mystique are lovers. 
Um, and we'll see where that goes. And Doff, and even, it's even brought up with Fastbender and Lawrence. I'll keep calling it Doff. It's easier to say. Um, even brought up with Fastbender and Lawrence in first class. But yeah, I mean, Rebecca Romaine, she does a terrific job of playing this kind of character that's somewhat playful, but has like a dark edge to her based on obviously, you know, things going on in her past in terms of how she's been handled as a mutant who, you know, has this ability and, you know, a look that's completely unique from everybody else. Like, there's a lot of things about her that Romaine, I mean, Say what you will about her as I, I don't even know what because I don't really know her outside beyond like, hey, she was a model once and then she acts occasionally like she does a really good job in this series. And I don't think it's brought up mm-hmm. that much. Well, and she gets rewarded for this movie because in the next movie, there's a lot of there's some characters sidelined and she's not one of them. She's brought more to the forefront as the story progresses and gets to do a lot of fun stuff. She gets a lot. Of st- yeah, she's I relate her to like uh, the Ocean's Eleven trilogy, actually, of like Scott Kahn and Casey Affleck, where they do like a lot of the work in that movie. <laughs> The others are just kind of like, hey, we're here. And, but they're, like, just doing stuff. They're constantly involved in every aspect of the plotting. And, yeah, Rebecca uh, Mystique is an X2. Like, all, like Cyclops is, you know, Cyclops, prehensibly, you know, the, the hero of the series beyond Wolverine. He's sidelined in two minutes to, like, sit around and then be evil for, like, another couple minutes. Yeah, and then he and, gets killed immediately in the third one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting, too, that she's really credible in the fighting and the action sequences, too, even though she's not that physically imposing, you know, just really, uh, really interesting. Again, yeah, she gets a ton to do. She's involved in the action. She's involved mm-hmm. in the plotting. She's involved in this kind of weird arc with Wolverine in terms of their relationship, which isn't got, it's not there's not a full exploration of that, but it's still there. Like it still tries to bring up these ideas and questions. Mm-hmm. I mean, she upstages like Sabretooth was a hugely popular villain and she completely upstages him here and they never bring him back. Yeah. Yeah, he just kind of gets dumped off until Lee Schreiber picks up the pieces. Well, the, the implication is that he actually stays dead. I guess. It's kind of shocking for a series like this. Especially yeah, him, since... him and Toad. Especially yeah. especially since Sabretooth is, you know, super-powered just like Wolverine is and probably yeah. just survived that fall. But... Mm-hmm. Interesting note here. He makes a reference to Guy Ritchie being dead. One of the things I thought was interesting about this film is there's almost no, no violence. You know, there's a body count of like four. Uh, basically the guards that he kills at the Statue of Liberty, and that's basically it. You know, this is not a particularly violent picture at all. Um, I think that just goes back to the fact that it's more of a character drama with special effects. It has more... To... Sorry, go, no, go, no, go no, ahead. It has more tension and suspense than it does violence, because you get to yes. see the key scene mm-hmm. of Wolf of uh, Magneto taking all the guns, shooting everything, and even yes. you have the bullet going into the guy's head almost. But it it plays on what these mutants can do, which is interesting because the movie's about... Senator Kelly, you know, fight against the potential of mutants. And so we're watching a movie that is showing us the potential of mutants in a deadly fashion, yet being stopped, yet we're never actually seeing said violence occur. It's been, with the exception of some small instances. Yeah. And most of it's, you know, mutant versus mutant actions, as opposed to, you know, civilians being in harm's way. Well, we also have a villain, a unique villain for any and all comic book movies, where, you know, we we kind of fully get him without having to have a, a huge ton of backstory and stuff on him, and we we you well, know leave it leave it to the ho- leave it to the Holocaust. To well, yeah, <laughs> well, I mean, there's there's two sides to the argument, and you can very much understand both sides. You just you know maybe he's a little too violent with it, but then you see the humans do some actions where you understand why Magneto would re- retaliate the way he does. I mean, you arguably get more backstory on Magneto than you do even on Xavier or most of the other characters. I mean, yeah, what you find out about Xavier is all exposition. I mean, we get the whole opening sequence with Magneto and Auschwitz. I mean, that really kind of uh, you know gives us insight to the character. And like Brandon says, you know, makes him a more sympathetic villain. 
We haven't talked enough about Ian. We haven't talked really at all about Ian McKellen in this movie. God, I love Ian McKellen. Have you guys ever seen his? Have you seen his Richard the Third? It is is the best. (laughs) It really is. It is the best. He is a terrific villain, and I mean, just in general, like Magneto is all. You know, you'd rank him very high amongst comic book villains of all time, let alone X Men villains. Mm -hmm. But even in comic book movies, I mean, Magneto obviously he's you know he's had more time to play his head villain, but in terms of having both the power to do evil. The backstory to, you know, explain why he is this way and, you know, the charisma and whatever you want to call it that goes with him making him so compelling. There's not many comic there's not many comic book movie villains that have achieved that kind of stature. And Loki is maybe getting there kind of just because yes. he's so enjoyable to watch. But Magneto's really a strong, compelling presence in all of these movies. Yeah, and I to be honest with you, I uh when they did X-Men Origins Wolverine, the next film was supposed to be X-Men's Origins Magneto. Magneto and I was, and I said, and I was like, ah, I don't really think that sounds that interesting or whatever. But then, you know, part of that got put into first class and then I was like, oh crap, I was wrong. That was really awesome. Yeah, I love watching From, <laughs> from Russia with Fassbender because that movie yeah. is fantastic. <laughs> I, yes. I, I said when that movie came out, I would have I would loved a whole movie of just, you know, Magneto, exactly. Nazi Hunter. You yeah, know, yeah. that would have been awesome. I had yeah. no idea that that's what they would have been going for. And, you know, with, the actor they chose to play Magneto helps it tremendously too. Yeah. But that was so entertaining. Yeah. I mean, I could talk, I've talked on this podcast plenty about how I love Michael Fassbender. So yeah, having him in the Magneto role and bringing so much to it, I mean, <laughs> for, for a role that's already been occupied by a terrific actor in the form of Ian McKellen, yeah. I really liked what this series has done with Magneto basically. <laughs> yeah. Well, who, who'd have thought like McAvoy and Fassbender going into that movie would make you not even think about McKellen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, really. Made it their own. They did. Yeah. Um, and I love, what? I mean, just a, a quick sidebar, I really love the Mag- Henry Jackman's Magneto theme for him in that movie as well. But Yeah. One thing I, I don't like about this film and even this series, and this is something, you know, Brandon has talked about at length, is that it seems like they're playing up the quote-unquote love triangle between these three just because it's in the comics and they have to. You yeah. know, I didn't buy it for a minute. Not in this film, not in the second film, and certainly not in the third film, where the entire emotional arc hinges on the idea that he is madly in love with Jean Grey. Well, you can, you can buy it in this film because it's just starting. It's just yeah, it's a flirtation. It, and it's a flirtation. The second film, um, it builds, but she actually says, you know, you flirt with the bad, the bad boys. Uh, Mary, you, marry the you, you marry the good guys, and it's kind of over there. In, in in the scheme of the series, they know each other for like six days total. Yeah, I know there's there's years between the movies, but there, there's I mean in the storyline it's it's days because after this he leaves and he comes back says hi to her as she's on her way to go get Nightcrawler. They meet up for a day and then she dies. There's yeah. two two things I want to point out. One, I re- the there's one of the funniest things to me, which is not even like intentionally funny, but when when Wolverine comes back to the mansion in the next two. And he sees Jean Grey. He just kind of goes, "Oh, hey, Jean!" Like just to like play it off really cool, even though he's probably been secretly pining for her ever since driving back on his motorcycle. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> he's only been gone for a month. Yeah, but it, it's just the 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 way he says like, "Oh, hey, Jean!" Like he's just he just has this confidence that seems very false to me, like on purpose, like for the audience yeah. it feels on purpose. Uh, the other thing, which is something Brandon brought up, then this is good stuff here too yeah stabbing her um but brandon brought this up he wrote you wrote that article last year when wolf when the wolverine came out correct yes yes Yes. correct um yeah and it was something because you pointed out how not not that it frustrated it kind of frustrated you i guess that gene gray is being propped up as this kind of love icon for wolverine even though that's just not really established in these films and i was more on the defensive 
for that film, for, for the Wolverine in particular, of Gene being present there is more of just a manifestation of all the loves that he's had throughout his time of being alive and how he's, you know, can't love anybody and they've all died in his arms. That's always how I've, how I've seen it there. In these films, I do agree. It's just like, why, yeah, why is, why are these, why is Wolverine so hung up on Jean Grey for, you know, not knowing her all that well? Yeah, and how, um, how much better of a conclusion to Last Stand would have been had, you know, Cyclops lived, and then in the final battle, him and Wolverine have to quit butting heads about stuff, work together, and distract her while Cyclops has to shoot her down and, and end her. In a smarter movie, he would have been imprisoned in some way and then, like, yeah. suddenly emerged out of, you know, wherever and was like, oh, I've been alive all along and i got to stop Gene or whatever. Yeah. Or they and, could and have Cyclops gone with the original. The oh, yeah. I mean, or they could have gone with the original ending, which was, you know, Gene killed herself to, to save the rest of, you know, to save Cyclops. Yeah, but no, we wouldn't have got that key Wolverine line in X3. I'm the only one that could stop her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, was that a key line? Really? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Fox loves Wolverine, so. Right. I so to be like to be completely honest, Wolverine like I like Hugh Jackman. I think he's a terrific Wolverine. Uh, Wolverine, the character, is very similar to Ve- to Venom to me, where I just don't really care that much about the plights of these people. It's helped that these movies have at least tried, but at the same time, it's like God, we can not focus on him for a bit and like do something else, which is why I like First Class quite a bit and even X Two, just because you're getting the best of Wolverine by seeing his Berserker rage in actual, also focusing on all the other characters that the movies has. So it's. See, seeing like, even seeing like Doth, seeing David Future Pass come out, be like, all right, let's get some Kenny Pride action. Nope, it's still Wolverine. He's going back in time now. It's like I well, get. Well, it's funny when they they announce like, oh, we're gonna do a Wolverine so we're gonna do a Wolverine centric movie for the next one. It's like, haven't you done three of those already? Yeah, it's like, what origins do we need to see? <laughs> like, I saw them. Like, what else? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. It was two. Yeah, X two was all you really needed. That yeah. I mean, well, it was all you needed. Like. It, and it proved right with, you know, X-Men Origins Wolverine wasn't that good of a movie. And So thankfully, I mean, I like the Wolverine quite a bit. I thought it did, it finally did a good job of presenting him with a story that had something to do for the character beyond just be like, here's another excuse to get Wolf, Hugh Jackman out there so people can pay money. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Wolverine, but I'm also a fan of, you know, the other X-Men as well. And seeing stuff they do, and you know, but the Wolverine was a good story to put him in and, and focus and do something kind of different. Um, but you know, X two used him good. This one uses him his, him well. Last Stand was, you know, had some stuff forced. Yeah, and it was He's like, well, we, Stretch Armstrong, Hugh and Holly. Yeah, this was weird to me when I first saw this. I didn't understand what exactly was going on with him. I knew something, you know. Try and turn him in mutant, but this is just kind of. Tyler Maine's an all right saber tooth. I like Lee Schreiber's take on it, despite that movie in general. But <laughs> Tyler Maine, he doesn't get a whole lot to do. But I do miss the kind of comic version of two like gnarly men yelling at each other. You're gonna get the girl. You're gonna get the girl. <laughs> like it's like I like that quite a bit. So. One of the uh, things I found interesting about this film, you know, I guess you could call it a flaw, is that the film is so grounded and so quote-unquote real world that I frankly never bought that Ian McKellen would put on a cape and, and prance around like a supervillain. You know, he is most believable to me when he's just wearing normal people clothes because he is, in general, a normal guy who has a very specific problem, you know, whatever, whatever. But I never bought Ian McKellen as, you know, comic book Magneto. That's, I mean, that's exactly what I was saying before, where you have yeah. the, the film so grounded that when it gets to these comic book moments of having a supervillain try to take over New York or whatever, I mean, that's not obviously what it is, but I mean, it 
there's Stanley. That it um, it does feel like uh, two different movies not you know meshing against each other and, and being more oiled and, and vinegar than you know something that's a better combination of metaphor that I can't think of. <laughs> so. This this, uh, this scene needs no, this this scene needs the uh, Roger Moore Bond guy that will always like did a double take looking at his drink. <laughs> <laughs> the um, he's a what's the name Sean Ashmore. Yes. Doing his like, I'm deceptive. Um, the, so Senator Kelly's powers, did he turn into a jellyfish? Like, or like a fish? Because he stretches, just, he has gills. He has, and, he has the mutant power of being able to find clothes laying there that fit him. Yeah. <laughs> he has like, he's the mutant power of being like a, a single celled organism, it seems like. I, I think that's what would happen to any regular human with that. I think it's supposed to show that Magneto's. Thing. I think Magneto wants to just turn them into mutants, but it's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's it's proven. It's a proven failure, and he doesn't know it yet. But he just goes ahead with his plan. It's funny how this Sean Ashmore Rogue relationship becomes one of the key parts of the series in terms of. I mean, he actually gets together. a good arc throughout um, and build to X Men: The Last Stand. That's one of the few things it does well. I mean, you get to True. see Iceman yeah. go from student to. You know, he's accidentally out on a mission because he's with Wolverine and stuff, and then finally he gets to fight in a big battle. Well, also dealing with his relationship with with Rogue, and he gets conflicted because Rogue, you know, she can't satisfy his needs, so to say, and meanwhile you have Kitty Pryde, and, like, there's there's some interesting stuff there. Again, it doesn't follow. Colossus is also built pretty well. I mean, it's a very smaller character, but he he... You know, you you first see him in X-Men 2, and he's starting to grow up, and Last Stand gets... It's a it's a it's a smaller version of Iceman's arc, but it it still works. I mean, it's I, it's there. I, I don't know yeah. if I go to. I mean, good well, job I mean, they, they don't just, for they being just around. Don't, well, they just don't throw them in randomly. I mean, they. I can agree with that. Yes, it's. I, and it's, and it, the, it comes down to my issue with these movies, where it's yeah. like obviously it's an X Men movie, so you have to have a lot of characters. But at the same time, there's a lot of characters in these movies. Yeah. Well, and they in in backwards. I think Rogue they they treat backwards because her in the third movie is just. You know, you want I I'd want to see Rogue in the final battle. Like we've been, you know, watching Rogue. She just becomes her arc becomes a bunch of whining. It does. It's, it's annoying, but at the same time, the movies do set it up. Like she never treats it as a gift. Like yeah. you don't you don't see that happen in these movies. Like she, it's constantly a curse for her. It's constantly. Well, we we it, never get to really see her in too much action. True. Either. But yeah, I, and, I I can see why the decision was made that Rogue was the one. If you're going to choose from from the core cast that wants to convert, she'd be the one to choose. Yeah. I can. I obviously there's some mishandling of that cure plot, but. In terms of kind of the broad beats of it, I see why certain decisions were made. If it was a longer movie with less characters and a better script, I think that aspect could have been handled really well. And yeah, to been the movie it wanted, it was supposed to be. Yeah. And yeah, because I mean, how how weird is it in the last stand when they go in the final battle where it's Wolverine, Storm, uh, Beast, Beast? who we just introduced. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, here's Iceman, uh, Colossus, and uh, Pretty Pride, which, you know, basically new. because Eventually just... Angel. <laughs> yeah. And eventually Angel, who's had a couple scenes. Like, how anticlimactic is that? I mean... It's like the first Expendables, where no one actually you want to see actually showed up. And, or, I, yeah, the, you know, the, the, I'll bring it up. I love bringing up the Stepfather movies on these podcasts, because I have before. But <laughs> step, the Stepfather 3, the final showdown, where Terry O'Quinn is not in the movie. Oh, man, Terry O'Quinn as Preserver Xavier could have been pretty great, actually. That could have been great. <laughs> that could have worked. Awesome. That could have worked. With his Rocketeer mustache. 
Nice. Rocketeer callback, comic book movie, got it. Um, I like the Cerebro depiction. I like yes. it every single one of these movies, actually. It seems like one of those things where, like, we know how to do this. Round room, let's get it going. Like, they seem like they, they got that down. I also like the subtle X's that are all over this movie, including this garage. I'd like to see Xavier planning it out. Nope, nope, X there. X, yes. <laughs> this movie, we haven't talked about this at all, but this movie's also really funny. Um, yeah. It does a great job of balancing its kind of sense of humor, which I think comes down to how many screenwriters had a chance to add their little lines and whatnot, with one notable exception from Joss Whedon, um, which is more of just delivering how it was shot than his real fault. That's the electrocution line. But um, but to, the, to be fair, he did write the best line in the movie, too. You're a dick. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that My favorite joke in this movie is actually Wolverine saying, what do they call you, wheels? That makes me laugh yes. always. That right. was improv by Jackman, too. Awesome. And that that always that always made me laugh at X two. We had a, we had a couple running jokes at X two because we were watching X Men a lot before the first the second one came out because we got really excited for basically Kitty Pride and Nightcrawler scenes seen in all the trailers. Um, but one of them would be like Wolverine comes back and we just figured he'd be like rapidly excited to say, "Where's Wheels? I need to say hi." <laughs> well, the scripted line was Baldy. Yeah, that's and Jackman went with Jack, Wheels. Yeah, I think Jackman, Jackman wins Jackman, easily. Jackman wins. There's very there's skinny Jay Baruchel slightly more attractive. There he goes. Okay. Oh wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> it's not him, but it just looks kind of oh, like oh, him. Oh okay. Looks like him and like it looks like his like his turtleneck wearing stylish cousin, Dave Baruchel. See nowadays, uh, two years later, Cyclops would have been very suspicious in that subway station. Yeah. Well, he's dressed. Yeah, this subway part's awesome too. I liked it a lot. I think all the times that they've broken into Cerebro over these movies, you would come up with a different security. It's <laughs> yeah. like a strong padlock. Like, could, do you think Mystique could get past a padlock? Hmm. I Like, what would you use then? <laughs> use her feet. I... <laughs> with a lock thing. In the original screenplay, she actually takes a piece out of Cerebro. That's what makes it go kooky. Hmm. And there's a nice bit in the finale where, you know, when they're all chained up in the Statue of Liberty or whatever... Uh, Magneto basically says, take this to save the professor afterwards. He'll make it very clear that he was never intending to kill him. Yeah. Uh, he even says in the in the final chess scene, you know, I never would have let you die or something like that. And frankly, I think that was missed in, in, in taking that out. See, I, I, I see where you're coming from on that, but at the same time, I feel like there's enough work done by the actors and just by their gravitas that they have in general that you really, you don't... I can see why it's different, yet you still get the idea that these two are opposing friends... Yeah, I mean the, the constant reference is made that Xavier is Martin Luther King and and yeah. Magneto is Malcolm X, which kind of applies. I mean, there's a <laughs> there's a myriad of differences between those comparisons, but I mean it, I see where that comes from, and you can see how there's obviously a mutual appreciation between the two. They're just obviously going about things in drastically different ways. You know, I, I really like this scene on the subway where or the bus. I mean, train, most... whatever, because I mean it's it's pretty cool that they had their scene in the car before. And then they, they've kind of gone to Xavier, the Xavier school, but both take a different path while there, and now they're catching back up with each other. My favorite scenes in this movie are all uh, uh, dialogue-based scenes. Yes. This scene, the initial meeting between Xavier and Magneto, and the final chess scene, like, mm-hmm. they're just... They, they, I mean, I guess a lot of it goes to David Hayter, who ultimately really wrote the screenplay of this, but for being such a kind of shaggy production with so many different issues of how to make this thing work... 
And even then, you have this kind of... There's, like, obviously, there's, like, an extended cut on this Blu-ray, their DVD, that has, like, a bunch of ideas that they're trying to work with but just didn't make work. The fact that we got this movie, and, again, I, you know, have my issues with it or whatnot, but the fact that it's so well-handled in terms of being a character story that happens to have superhero action in it, I think is quite impressive. Yeah. And it comes from, I think, Brian Singer... For better or worse, he, he knows how to make this movie. He's evolved from, I mean, you, you know, he started off with that movie before, um, Usual Suspects, that I cannot think of right offhand. Um, at, he had At Pupil after. At Pupil. At Pupil was after, yeah, after. After. Um, and that was with him and McKellen. Yeah. So you get to this where it's some, like, a different beast for him, and he does a fine job with being able to still in, imbue that sense of drama that he's been able to work with so far in his movies, and announce himself also as an action director, which you know, works tenfold in uh, in uh, X, X2, and, you know, for better or worse, Superman Returns has a lot of good action, or it has action in it, and the action is very, I wouldn't say a lot of action, because it doesn't have a lot of action. But the yeah, action that was that, the big complaint about that movie. <laughs> but, the act, but the action that's in it is very good. That planes, that Superman plane rescue mm-hmm. sequence is just terrific. <laughs> Seeing Superman take a bullet to the eye is kind of neat. <laughs> I agree. Who do you think the person was on X-Men Origins Wolverine that was like, Hmm. I wonder how he got that jacket. <laughs> That's going to be important. Uh, where I think I think this movie suffers a little bit is frankly the running time. I think you know because when, as you said the dialogue scenes are what works. It's you know the little bits where you know we asked it about ten minutes ago, five minutes ago, where Xavier and Cyclops are chit chatting about Wolverine and you know they're come they're 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 Friendship is reestablished, um, and what I love in you know the movies is just where the, the, the fellow X Men just chit chat with each other. They know each other; they're friends, and that's what I love about the the X Two is because it's so long comparatively. There is a lot of time for just you know character interaction, and comparatively, this film is somewhat rushed, where you have just the briefest hint of character moment, and then boom, plot stuff. That's, I agree. It would have really yeah. benefited from a little more room to breathe, I think. For sure. And, I mean, there is a shaggier cut of this movie that, again, just doesn't work. Yeah. Um, and it's it comes down to, obviously, like, budget and just what you want to do with this movie and, you know, basically experimenting with how this movie would work because it's an X-Men movie. And that's that's quite a that's quite a, an undertaking because you have all these characters and you have to find that right balance while still making an entertaining summer action movie. Obviously, there are many other superhero movies now that know how to do that a lot better, which is why... You know, I like a lot of these other superhero movies, not because like, hey, my comic book movies are coming, or my comic books are coming to life, or whatnot. Like, that's great, but a lot of them, and like, I know Scott's not the biggest Spider-Man Two fan, particularly, but Spider-Man Two, Spider-Man, even you know, the Iron Man. Like, there's a lot of those movies don't have a ton of action in them. They're just filled with great actors that you know are speaking a lot, and they're speaking about things that relate to everyday life in some way. Obviously, they're enhanced based on wealth or powers. Or actor, you know, things that had like who bombed the bank the other day, that kind of stuff. But it, <laughs> it um, it it has a lot of great, you know, interaction between people that these movies have found a way to make work in the realm of being a summer action film. Oh yeah, well, I mean, you know, uh, I don't, you know, again, I don't like Spider Man Two as much as some other people do, but you know, there's a lot of great stuff in that film. Um, you know, there's a half a dozen scenes that I think are just awesome. The where the scene where he talks to Aunt May about what happened to Uncle Ben, the scene where she freaks out when he tries to give back the twenty dollar bill, et cetera, et cetera. Well, even even That's, a scene, even a scene like the like one where Peter just eats cookies with his next door neighbor. It just yes. the movies take time to breathe. 
Yes. And some of these uh, movies don't do that anymore, but others do, and they work. I don't know if we can fault that this one, because at the time, if Brian Singer would have gone to Fox with, I want to make a two-and-a-half-hour movie based off X-Men, they probably would have laughed. I mean, yeah. it was probably more of a requirement, because this was an un... While we had Blade, this was still an unproven territory. And, yeah. You know, this yeah. is the feeling it out. So they were like, hey, summer movie, hour 40, keep it around there, and there you go. And then because it did so well, it was rewarded. The next one's like... Uh, what, two hours and ten minutes? Two fifteen? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it gets rewarded the next time around. And many more superheroes started building and becoming longer and longer and longer. Let's be honest. Magneto, you know, the helmet, it only works if it has that cape to go with it. That's why he has the cape on it. <laughs> yes. It's... I don't think it works at all. I mean, need, I mean, the helmet is a plot device. I mean, it, it yeah. does block yeah. it. <laughs> like, it is useful in some way. This is so cool. These guns being all held, ho- holding these people hostage and everything. Like, it's so... This was a tense moment. It is. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, oh. And it's not like the bullet doesn't get near him. It's drilling itself into his head. <laughs> I think because the movie to this point has been such grounded in reality, <laughs> he might just pop these guys off. And it also looks good. Again, somehow yeah. X-Men Origins Wolverine doesn't make the claws work. <laughs> Yet no. this movie, like, it looks really good. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why that cop just can't, you know, take two steps back, but that's another, you know, question. Well, that's a classic question. Is if he can't read Magneto's mind and find out where he is, why can't he just read, you know, Sabretooth's mind or Toad's mind? Yeah. Or Mystique's a... mind. <laughs> or Rogue's mind when she gets there. Well, they do block, they do mess up Cerebro, so you can't really do anything. Yeah. After. Well, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. No, I, I think, frankly, I think Magneto looks ridiculous in full Magneto garb. It, um, it only ever bugged me in um, the end of First Class, where suddenly he's like a giant hood ornament. It's like, what's going on here? Like, he looked better before. But yeah. I, well, they've even changed that costume now, haven't they? Yeah, they have, and he looks a lot cooler, actually. I'm really excited, because I love Fast Vendors, maybe, too. Ray Park doesn't do a whole lot as Toad. He's just kind of around, right? He gets his his kicks in. He was in Star Wars! Let's get him! (laughs) He was, you know, this was during his peak. wouldn't say Toad was the most compelling character, though, so, you know, can't... No, he was kind of like a wide... You know, one of my complaints when I you know, first seen that, like, why did they waste time just creating this, like, rather stupid character? I mean, they had to pick and choose from somewhere, and they went, I guess Toad worked better than Avalanche, or even yeah. Pyro, who apparently is part of the school instead of the Brotherhood, which would have made more sense, but whatever. Well, it was a cheaper, you know, comparatively, it was yeah. a cheaper power. Which is something... Your- it was also very visual. And you'll, yeah, and right. you'll, but you'll see the extent of how they can use that power because I, you, when you ever watch the toad jumping scene, it's always like some of the weakest scenes because just like it makes the sound effects like, like to show, look, he's jumping. Like it just really highlights how you know, kind of like, I guess this is how we film this. That's kind of the look of it. See, this is a perfect example. You have this nice dialogue scene with Storm and Wolverine. They're talking. They're talking. Oh, plot. <laughs> It actually reminds me, thinking of Toad again, the jumping in that in this movie is like, look how look he can jump. That's his power. Meanwhile, X three like everybody jumps. Like that's like yes. that's that's that's, yeah. pretty, that's like ninety percent of the mutants' powers because they're all level ones or whatever. Because there's levels now apparently in X three too. Like, and <laughs> Toad, his levels. Toad's returning in days of Dop. Yeah, yeah, young. Yeah, we got we got the young Toad story. Young Toad as previous. So, is that the accepted acronym now? Is Dop? Dop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Toad begins. Toad begins. Toad begins. If you become more than just a toad. Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. 
Do you know how ah. to- Toad got his uh, goggles? You'll find out. <laughs> it's important, these things. You know, when I watched this movie the first time, I was like, I wonder how he got those goggles. Same way everybody else does. <laughs> <laughs> a line that, by the way, I never had any problems with. It's a little cheesy, but who cares? Yeah. Uh, no, I can't a couple seconds of the movie. It's not. I mean, it's not... A, it's the, when I see your bad lines, they're not the kind of thing that make me go, man, that movie was pretty good, except for that part. It's just more of whenever I come across, it's like, yeah, that, man, that's, that's happening. Like, I'm still going I'm I'm to I'm frown on it. It's just not something that's taking me out of the movie. No. The problem is, when you first see it, it you're like, oh, what's this, what you going to say? What's you going to say? And then that's it. You're like, oh. Yeah, there's no punchline to it. It's yeah, like, it feels it, like there's going to be this huge punchline, like one-liner, and no. It, it feels like they had like an insert joke here, and they never got around to writing it. Well, if I had to take a guess, you know, it's the kind of thing that on Buffy, she would have said the first part, killed the guy, and then turned away and said the other line. Yeah, it's the same kind of thing where Joss Whedon is unhappy with Alien Resurrection because he had all the right lines written in his eyes. They just did it all the wrong ways. And that's kind of what it feels like with that line. Yes, Joss Whedon wrote Alien Resurrection. Yep. (laughs) For people that forgot this. Yep. Where there's a there's a documentary on that disc where he sits and blames other people for its failure. I like how Wolverine's like constantly like I'm out of here. Like that's pretty much his like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like that's his motif in the throughout. He was the- just on his way out. Like he's again. constantly he's constantly like just like sitting by the door like waiting, hat in hand, coat on. Like when are we when are we leaving? When are we get out of here? What's happening? He also is smart enough to realize what's going on, though. That's nice. Yeah. Especially since Magneto always, you know, insults him for his intelligence. <laughs> he does actually figure out the plotting. I do enjoy the series that Hugh Jackman has always been, like, loyal to this role, taking ownership and always returned whenever they wanted him to, as well as Patrick Stewart, too. Well, that's because they've actually had time to have to do other stuff in between. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think that's, you know, sort of the difference is, you know, they weren't popping out six of these over five years. Yeah, you know, they were. You know, Hugh Jackman could do X Men, and then do Swordfish, and and you know the Fountain, the Prestige, Kate and Rob, Leopold, Kate and Leopold, and then every three years or so do an X Men film. Yeah, well, but I mean, it was too much trouble for Holly Berry. She'd come back with you know, oh, I better be prominent. Well, I think that's a. I mean, I can't. I'm not. I can't defend Halle Berry completely. But at the same time, the movies don't give her much. Which no. and. I think that combined with the fact that she is, frankly, the, one of the biggest stars in these movies, it does kind of stand out to be like, hey, I seem like I feel like I'm one of the A-listers here. Why don't I get a lot to do? Well, it would be like you know a Batman movie that didn't give Commissioner Gordon anything to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's that level of a character. You know, you have when people think of the X-Men, they think generally Wolverine, Cyclops, Storm. Xavier, oh. Magneto, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, and part of that's because of the video games. Mm-hmm. You know, because those are the three of the main characters that were choosable. Um, that that Senator Kelly death effect is a mix of, like, eh, and then, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Make thirsty. Yeah. Do you remember, do any of you remember when uh, the movie sent out like it had its first promo images of all the characters and they looked they, awful they, they, yeah they looked really awful 
Well, the first teaser for this film was terrible. We can talk about marketing about X Men all day because I all yeah. I, I've they I've, have horrible posters. They, yes. they always have horrible posters, with the exception of the Wolverine, where they had a chance to actually do something and they did. Every other X Men poster is always even the Doff posters are terrible. Like I just <laughs> like like some of them. I mean the the initial one, the teaser ones with like the X through the yeah through and it, those are those are neat, but like. What's sad is the the main poster for Doff is actually one of the better X Men posters, and it still comes up very short. Yeah, it's yeah. just like here's Wolverine, here's Mystique, who's now the second most important character in X Men because Jennifer Lawrence plays her, and then there's all these other people. In the back. Yes. Uh, blue, and, blue and, and orange, blue and, and orange. Patrick because... Stewart flying around. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, the, the first teaser was awful. I mean, it was it was set to techno music. It had almost no finished special effects. Um, and the reaction nice. was so bad that they almost immediately rushed out a much superior second trailer, which was a 180-degree difference, frankly. I have to check it out because I just don't remember these at all. Uh, and that was actually a great modern trailer in terms of selling in a somewhat cult property to mainstream audiences. Yes. It had a roll, a roll call of all who the characters were. It had a, you know explanation of what mutant, you know, mutants were. And it showed off. You know, it made the film feel more action-packed than it actually was. It included Storm be- with Wolverine being like, uh, which side are you going to be on when it comes? That was the third like trailer, that. actually. That was the third trailer, okay. I think so. Uh, but and, and the logo, or the, the tagline was always, you know, trust a few, fear the rest. Which didn't make a lot of sense because the whole movie was about tolerance, but whatever. <laughs> um, but no, it was, the second trailer was the good one. And then you had a third trailer close to the end of the release date, which was just highlighting the special effects. Um, is this the first time Cyclops yells Gene in the movie? Yeah. Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. That was my favorite Cyclops trope from the cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he constantly was yelling, Gene! Gene! Did somebody cut like a 20-minute montage of that? I hope Easily. so. You, you know, it's funny, if I find it, I'll put it in the show notes. Fair enough. You know what I think is interesting about X-Men in like comic form, too, is they've all gone through like at least... You know, two major outfit changes, but yet all of them have been like very iconic looking, which is pretty yeah. incredible of a feat. Like there's the, the orange and and brown Wolverine outfit, um, and he's got his yellow and blue. And then there's like Cyclops has the one with his you know head covered that look, and then he had the one in the '90s where his hair was showing. It was quite different looking. Storms had her mohawk look and everything you just described by the way i have three x-men posters in my room and i'm looking at all three different styles of these characters yeah and they're all iconic which is pretty cool that they've done that i mean you don't i mean you don't see people talking about scarlet spider still i am pretty glad that they didn't go with like the 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 um, primary color schemes of a lot of them from like they were you know especially like i think the wolverine that the yellow and blue would especially look kind of garish oh for sure in, in real life, and compared to what they went to, which is again one of the funniest lines of the movie is like, "What'd you expect? Yellow spandex?" Like they they get right. that it's like this just doesn't play on film. Like you can't do this. Yeah, I think that yeah, was what had, was interesting. Had the X Men started now, they would. Yes. Well, that's and why I, first, first class kind of had that. Yeah, the the yeah. period setting kind of gave them the an alibi to go more old school, which I like. Yeah, me too. Which is yeah. why I'm not complaining about Quicksilver based on you know an image that I've seen of him. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently he is pretty awesome in that movie. Yeah, he's supposed to be a highlight. Yeah. Um, no, and I, I do think, you know, to a certain extent, I don't want to say the film loses something, but I do miss the, the familiar costumes. That's part of the fun of seeing these movies. 
That's one of the things I liked about the 90s Batman films is that the Riddler looked like the Riddler, the Penguin looked like the Penguin, you know, and so forth. Yeah, uh, if, if anything, this was a reaction to, hey, yes. we, aren't, we aren't Batman and Robin. Yeah. Um, well, the closest one would probably be, what, Magneto to their actual costume? Yes. Yeah. Mag- well, well, I mean, pr- Xavier doesn't really have much to go on besides, like, wear nice suits. Yeah. But they all wear, I mean, they wear their colors to an extent. Like, they all... There's, like, a nice little line of their color in their, their yeah. outfits, yeah. Like, it, it stays true to the essence of their characters, just based in a real kind of world. What I like about this screenplay is, as rushed as it is, pretty much every major character interacts with every other major character at one point or another. Even to the point of giving Magneto and, and Rogue this rather obviously very bittersweet conversation where he basically says, yes, I'm going to have to kill you. Sorry about that. See, now that makes me wonder who hasn't talked to who before, because I guess Storm ever talked to Magneto? <laughs> uh, well, they all kind of chit-chat in the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, right. yeah, they do, yeah. You're right. Actually, you're right, yeah. Scott, how did this movie do at the box office? Well, I mean, I'm probably if I have time, I'm going to write about that next week. It broke the record for an original opening. This was back when a $54 million debut was one of the fifth, I think the fifth biggest debut of all time, and the biggest for a non-sequel of all time. It did $20 million opening day, which to put that in perspective, was a bigger opening day than, a bigger Friday opening day than Star Wars The Phantom Menace the year before. Obviously, Star Wars had opened on a Wednesday, did $28 million, mm-hmm. but nonetheless. <clears throat> this was also a very front-loaded film, which the entire franchise overall is hugely front-loaded. It is the most front-loaded franchise other than maybe the later Harry Potter and Twilight films. Uh, this film did $54 million opening weekend. It, it finished up with about $157 million. That's less than three times its opening weekend. The odd thing is that even though it was relatively well-liked by fans and audiences alike, it still dropped like a rock after opening weekend. Um, the same thing with X2, which everybody loved. It did $85 million yeah, opening weekend. It was a huge weekend. opening weekend. Oh, it was yeah. a huge jump from one to two. But still, it, it basically crapped out after that, and it ended up with about uh, 215 210 and then there's X-Men The Last Stand, which opened to $122 million over its four-day Memorial Day weekend and still only made to 235 which is basically less than two times its four-day opening. Um, and that's why, you know, I would like to, you know, yeah, you know Fox is hoping that Days of Future Past is going to, you know, completely surpass the previous, you know, totals of this franchise, but... The films are so front-loaded and play so exclusively to their fan base. You know, even if you get the hundred, you know, even if you open with $150 million over Memorial Day weekend, which isn't out of the line of reason, you're still looking at a, you know, double that, which is going to, well, which is going to be $300 million, which is great. But it's still going to be adjusted for inflation about what X-Men The Last Stand did. It doesn't put it in the leagues of of some of the bigger Spider-Man movies no. and uh, and uh, the Dark Knight and that, the Batman series, yeah. obviously. Yeah. And that's okay. I mean, not everything has to be the Dark Knight or Spider-Man 3, but... I, I, well, I will be curious, though, if it does kind of do a fast five of having everybody involved and making that more of a, man, we got to see this like eight times in theaters and, you know, it's going to be, maybe it'll be the biggest X-Men film ever. Like, well, and I, they have marketed the heck out of this movie. Yes. Yeah, but you can say that, I mean, you can say that about Spider-Man. Like, I mean, it... I don't it, see Spider-Man eating Carl's Jr., <laughs> all the time. Yeah, but I saw him drop the New Year's Eve ball. Like he's he's like he's yeah. everywhere. Um, and unfortunately, you know, I I was you know I had written several pieces about how happy I was with Fox's relatively low key marketing. 
up until like the last two weeks where they started going crazy with clips and and TV spots. And I understand it's perhaps a necessary evil. On the other hand, you have to give away all the big scenes at a time. Oh, my God. Yeah, I hate that. I mean, I haven't watched any of the clips, but. Yeah, I, I, you know, I refrain from all that stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I've been trying to, but that third trailer kills me. It's like, wow, this is just X-Men for dummies now, huh? That's yeah. Um, this put is a, a cute put a, put a, gag. Put all the cashmere you want in it, but, I mean... <laughs> that is... Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> My favorite Statue of Liberty sequence since Remo, Remo Williams' The Adventure uh, Begins. Where the adventure <laughs> never really began. No, not at all. <laughs> It's no Ghostbusters too. She can turn into statues too. It's neat to see her explore the again. Mystique's awesome in these movies. Mm-hmm. Like I was never like a huge Mystique fan, but in these movies, it's like she's really killing it. Well, it's awesome because you get a Wolverine versus Wolverine fight. Yes, which is yeah, yeah. super cool. Um, I will say, not to toot my own horn, that I'm very proud of myself for actually referencing Remo Williams' The Adventure Begins in my Divergent review. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's another film where the adventure barely began. <laughs> They rode around on trains a lot and did parkour. So I mean, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's obviously an adventure. I do what I like about this beyond like, hey, that's cool. The John Ottman's music in this movie—it's very playful. Mm-hmm. Yes, it has a lot of fun. It's not just you know, it's not semi, it's not Hans Zimmer seriousness. It's like it's actually having fun with the idea of like, look at this, and then look at this, and it just has that kind of going for it, which is a more of a. A, a, an aspect that comes with, hey, what the hell are we doing? Let's just try something, and it kind of works because of that. But at the same time, it's still fun. Um, one of the things I like about these fight scenes is, generally speaking, they don't talk. They just beat the crap out of each other because they're too busy to talk. There is a lot of emphasis on, wait for me to do my power before you attack, though, which kind of <laughs> <laughs> Although this toad stuff's like, like, like yeah, <laughs> like, what am I doing? <laughs> but like, you know, Storm has to like, you know, it takes her like eight minutes to charge up her light. <laughs> Even just then, Toad's like, let me pose really quick and then put my tongue around and close this door. Then I'll do something. Here's that jumping stuff I was talking about, by the way, too. Yeah. It does that a lot in some of the, like, uh, like Wolverine's intro. It really like plays up the sound effects of the fact that guess what, guys? He has a metal skeleton. And X3 is, like, the worst uh, violator of this, where it has people, like, Magneto, every time he uses magnetic powers, it has a sound effect that goes, like, like, it just, like, to make sure that you know that he's using, like, abilities beyond just the fact that you're seeing them happen. I like that Ray Park move. It's just, like, that was the Darth Maul, the Darth Maul bit. Yeah. Yeah. She died. (laughs) She's up Here's, like, another money shot, right? Where Trailer just, shot. Yep. Turns into herself and kicks him. Well, and, and, you know, obviously this is an issue because the film is as cheap as it was, but the use of powers in this movie is not remotely casual. You know, as as you emphasize, you know, the characters have to sort of pause to do their powers because you need to make sure the audience can go, wow, that's neat. One of the things I love about the second film is how casual the special effects feel in comparison. Yes. Yeah. Iceman just freezing a coke because that's what he can do. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and they don't go, you know, the camera doesn't go, wow, look at this power. Yeah, I mean, the X2, we, you know, but maybe when X-Men Apocalypse comes out, we can talk about X2 because that movie has so much good to go for it and it's just really easy to talk about. But it has such a, Brian Singer has so much confidence in that movie. And I hear he was like angry on the set. Like he really did like, he just, he was really 
into making this like the best movie he could, like throwing around chairs and stuff like that to like get the best scenes possible. But like that movie has so much, it seems like so much confidence on display in like that opening Nightcrawler sequence where the camera's flowing like through like peepholes and doors and stuff. Like it just really, it it made Nightcrawler's power amazing. It was it was yeah. an alright power, and then I saw the intro to X two and I was blown away. I was like, wow, that I mean, is that was, awesome. I mean, as I said, I Nightcrawler was my favorite X Men character, and I was just like, after I saw that opening, I was like, all right, I can get up and leave. I'm good. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. But even, I think yeah, he makes like, good choices in the way it depicts the powers, too, in the different, yeah. like, when Storm uses her powers, her, her eyes glaze over white, that's how you can tell she's about to rev up and do something, or, I mean, the, um, uh, the way uh, they're showing that, uh, I saw in one of the, in the, uh, the, um, the trailer of how they're uh, using Quicksilver's powers in, in Doft, yeah. uh, you know, just the way they're depicting, I, I really, t- I really like the visual choices he takes, you know, he makes in, uh, showing off, you know, the, the different powers and how they manifest. I mean, yeah. he uses them well, but he has a sense of restraint with it as well. Exactly. Right. With it. And it just people look more comfortable in that movie. Like everyone just yeah. like they they got the wigs right or whatever they're doing, their hair color in those movies. <laughs> yeah. But they all just everyone seems to be very, at least on screen, just seems very fit with their role at that point. It it's it's the kind of great sequel where it just feels like oh you're back in the company of old friends. Yeah. You know, yeah. something like, you know, Toy Story 2 or, to a certain extent, Harry, you know, the book probably more so than the movie, but Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Uh, although I do like the movie. I think, you know, I like all of those movies, obviously. But, you know, where you just, okay, I'm, I'm back in this world again. It feels like I never left, and I'm glad to be back. This is a good place direct, by the way. Yes, I, it I really, really is. I really like yeah. this. Um, and Comfortable. Yeah. You know, no, with, with, yeah. with, with X2 as well, like, when I left that movie, I felt like, man, they're going to make, like, ten of these X-Men movies the way it's set up. It never, ever felt like, oh, the next one's it. going to be the last one. I mean, it felt like he was going to take, it was going to take its time and tell a lot of stories and, you know, just naturally progress this universe. But then we all know what happened, and it was cool to cap things off at a trilogy back then for some reason, and... Yeah, I wonder what that alternate universe is where, like, Superman Returns doesn't happen and Brian Singer does come back for X3 and, like, where it goes from there. Well, I think part yeah. of it is, you know, do they give him the time that he needed to make the movie he wanted to make? Well, that's I mean, what I am, yeah. you know, I do not blame Brett Ratner as much as most nope. people do because, you know, he was he was brought in because he could do the job on the schedule they wanted. And well, I mean, he's, he'd kind of planted the seeds already that he was going to go for the Dark uh, Phoenix storyline. I'm sure yeah. we would have gotten yeah. that basic, you know, plot or whatever, I I, I also probably I also have you know kind of faith that he probably would have executed it in more oh, enjoyable yeah. manner. He know? would have he would have fought to have <laughs> it done right, whereas he leaves and then all of a sudden it's not important to get it done right, anymore, and they craft it into what whatever they kind of wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. And they yeah they, they were more interested in making just an effects you know action film than they were you know next chapter in the saga. And I mean it didn't have the subtitle The Last Stand. For the, I mean, for a while, right? It, cause, well, neither did X2, for that matter. X2 was just X2 yeah, for had, a long time. X, but I had, when they went to make X3, I really, I don't remember them really touting it as, like, the last one going into it. And then all of a sudden, somewhere midway, this is it. This is the last, you know, this is, you know, X-Men 3, last stand, done. Well, X-Men United was tagged on, like, a month before release. Was, yeah, I remember. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was really it was, last. It was X. It was X squared for like the longest yeah. time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
which I liked. <laughs> I yeah. thought it was cool. Yeah. I love how nefarious Magneto is in terms of his, like, elaborate setups to keep them at bay, where you have Sky Cyclops, no eyes, his Wolverine with claws facing himself. Like, that's just really, it's, it's really creative. Oh, there you go. Storm talking to Magneto. Ah. <laughs> um. And this is, yeah, like you said, it's a smaller, it's, it has big ramifications, but it's a smaller scale villain plot. And, I, and really, X2 has a smaller scale villain plot as well. I mean, these were never like, oh, the universe is, you know, Earth's going to blow up. A lot of well, them do. I mean, look at Spider-Man. Like, there is no, there's no real villain plot there beyond, like, Green Goblin just wants to be Green Goblin and Dr. Octopus wants to build a thing. Like, it's... It's yeah. some of these, it's these other ones, these, you know, Avengers, and it's the, it's the Thors that, like, really take it away to these, you know, global levels because they're heroes that fight for a world as opposed to just the state they're occupying. Yeah, that's why, I mean, like, the Wolverine was kind of a relief when it came out because it was such a small-scale story yeah. with, like, little implications, and that was, like, a breath of fresh air. With, like, only two other mutants. Like, it just, it, it, Yeah, no, it, it, no city thing. was in danger of being destroyed, no, you know... <laughs> No population was going... Yeah, it wasn't you know. called Wolverine Tokyo Takedown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I think you know what you you gain from having smaller stakes is you create suspense by creating something bad that could actually happen. Mm-hmm. One of the things I liked about, I guess this is kind of a spoiler, for Amazing Spider-Man 2 is that the climax is intercut with you know two planes that are sort of heading for each other because the power's out. And... That creates suspense because, yeah, those two planes could crash. You know, that's completely plausible. You know, something like The Dark Knight works because those fairies could blow up. When I watch The Dark Knight Rises, I'm pretty sure Gotham's not going to get nuked. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> we, we, can, we can discuss the merits of The Dark Knight Rises in that plot, but I mean, at the same time, Gotham, did, I mean, they did win for a good majority of that movie. Like, they blocked yeah. it up, they blew up the bridges, it was under siege, like... They made it. They made it seem for a movie that was you know trying to evoke disaster films in the same yeah. way the Dark Knight was trying to evoke you know terrorist panic or whatnot. Like it did a good job of, of putting those stakes there. I mean, there's a lot. Yeah. To, that's a lot to do. But I mean, yeah, that's not whatever. Like I, I agree. Yeah. I agree with you that yes, the kind of it it sets up these stakes that are suspenseful. Spider Man. That's funny. I like that you that you enjoy the the plane aspect thing. I as much as I'm you know more of a fan of Amazing Spider Man two than it seems most people are. Um, what what got me is like really we need this too like trouble's trouble guys like how much trouble do we need in this scene but like I guess we we replaced like a ticking time bomb plot with two planes that could collide with each other yeah it, it, it they also have to cut away to, but didn't they also have to cut away to like a hospital where the lights are all out and well, yeah just, Aunt May worked something. at that hospital too yeah I was just like <laughs> oh please how many times have I seen this come on I get it the electricity being out is bad I get it. That's I see. I get that though. That's just like here's where these like That's it's a check in with, effects. Here we go. Here it is. Yeah. <laughs> this never. This got. I love that there are fireworks going off. That's what yeah. makes it amazing. <laughs> like where are these fireworks coming off? Like icing on the cake. <laughs> it does. It gives it a comic book zest, I guess. That ha- having like stuff in the background to make it like look more. Like look how look how crazy this is. I like that their fight really reaches no real climax. They just sort of stop fighting. Yeah. That's how all of the fights in this film really are. You know, because even the Mystique fight, it ends, and then it picks up again, you know, two minutes later, and he stabs her. Again, something that X2 just has so much more confidence in of putting these displays of powers on. Yes. Last. 
like the Deathstroke Mag- Wolverine fights, amazing. <laughs> yeah. And, and brutal. I mean, yeah. she's, she's stabbing him like 80 times in the back. <laughs> like, it's brutal. Yeah, it's crazy good, though. I mean, and then her demise is even. Oh, it's. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's, that's the, oh, that's, man. That's, that, that and maybe Magne- um, Kevin Bacon getting a penny through the head or a quarter through Yes. It. Those are probably the most brutal things that happen in these movies. Yes. That one's rough, too. I was like, because, oh. like, Xavier's feeling the pain or whatever. Like, it's crazy how good that stuff is. Well, and Bacon was... You weren't, you weren't impressed with him fighting on top of Three Mile Island? And <laughs> <laughs> Wolverine Origins? Come on. Oh. Stabbed and all that. Sarcasm. <laughs> with, oh. Ryan, with Ryan Atkins as yeah. uh... I guess the Wolverine, too, because he's getting, like, the Wolverine has that kind of thing where anytime I see somebody lose a thing that they, like, use, I get, like, really upset. Like, when somebody, like, cuts off his claws, like, oh, those are, like, he needs those. Those are his things that he needs. <laughs> it's the same reaction I had because I kept thinking about it when a thing happens in Game of Thrones that made it, you know, yeah. someone loses a thing. And I'm like, oh, but that's the thing he needs. Like, I just, like, I physically get upset because I'm like, oh, that's not going to come back. Like, that's, that's the reaction I have. It's like, use your power. You know, we have to uh, explain what that is. Yeah. You can't just say, try to steady him. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, how how great was Kevin Bacon as a villain, though? Oh, he's great. Oh, I mean, that is oh, yeah. a terrific turn. For Sebastian Stan, a character that's like, all right, like, Kevin Bacon did a tremendous job of making that work. Yeah, it was like, I kind of wonder, you know, it's like a perfect role for him, especially at a time in his career that you just never you didn't think, oh yeah, he'd make a great X Men villain. I mean, between him, between that and Super, he's made like some great comic yes. villains in movies. Yes. Yeah. Right. Here's Wolverine saving the day. By the way, he's the only one that can stop her. Well, it's a team effort. I know, but still, it's just... <laughs> kind of similar to what he does in Last Stand, where he's yeah, he stabs things. Well, he stabs things and he has a force pushing against him. But most most of the problems in these movies are solved with, X, with Wolverine using his claws. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. He clo- I think he even closes the door at X two the same way that everyone in Star Wars closes doors, where they just you know st- like shoot a control panel. He stabs yeah. one and then the doors close and it stops the flood from happening. Like he stabs things. That's what he's stabby, stabby, stabby. You know, it's it, it. Yeah, this is something that you know doesn't matter, but these people do get hit by this death ray. You know, to what extent are they actually affected? It stops, I think, doesn't it? No, it, yeah, it doesn't get to exposed. him. No, it doesn't get to him. It doesn't get to no. him. They're like, here, no, we'll see. They're going to like run away. They're like, wait a minute. I don't normally see giant white bubbles coming at me. We should run away. <laughs> and then it's it a bunch of dignitaries and diplomats. Who cares? <laughs> take the shot! Okay, Cyclops, we don't need to tell us to take it. Take the bloody shot! There's a super cut that should be made. Cyclops waits a long time to get that done. <laughs> Yeah, see, it stops. It stops right before the edge. I'll it, give, yeah, yeah. If it wanted to show people get hit by it, it would have showed people get hit by it. That's true. Yeah. Right. If, I mean, it'd be like throwing a bunch of lizard spray on people and then not showing the results. <laughs> that, <laughs> would be, that would be ridiculous. Who would do something? <laughs> we get the nice uh, rogue white hair origin right there. You also get the random glance of Jean Grey that means nothing unless you want it to mean something. <laughs> Uh, obviously, you can't hear the sound on this, but this is my favorite music cut in the film. It's good, yeah, I agree. Oh, I just thought of a costume thing. One of my favorite jokes in X2 is when, like, a Pyro asks, like, where are our uniforms? And Wolverine's like, you'll get them in a... They're on order. You'll get them in a couple of years. That makes me laugh all the time. <clears throat> Excuse me. Is this a Jerry Goldsmith score? No, uh, John Ottman. It's 
He, he and Brian Singer, they do double duty because John Ottman does the scores and edits a lot of his movies. He's working overtime. Two paychecks. Taking care of business. Every day. Working <laughs> overtime. Which is interesting that this movie is as short as it is because you know, there's always a danger when you're a composer that you'll keep a scene because you don't want to lose your favorite music cut. Good. It helps when you're the composer and editor. Yeah. You know what? I'm completely wrong. Michael Kamen did the score for X-Men. Oh. Well. <laughs> I, thought, I, thought he, I thought it was Ottman. Gotta I think he, yeah. Edit, edit his That's name right, where he said Ottman. Jotman was Ryan. set originally, but it came and came in. I think he does X2, though, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yes, okay. The singer was like, okay, my first film made money. I get to use my composer now. Oh, he didn't edit it either. So, yeah, I guess John Ottman was just not working on this movie because he probably could. For, for, yeah, that makes more sense. Singer probably just couldn't get him approved. But they probably wanted someone that's, you know, safer, like Michael Kamen and studio editors. Yep. But X2 comes along. He's like, guess what? I'm doing things my way now. <laughs> and he gets his Ottman back in. Who retains the themes? Uh, yeah, it's something I do like about the uh, about a lot of these X Men movies. They kind of the, the first three actually. I mean, regardless of the changes in three, they do retain a lot of the aspects that make them work as a trilogy to an extent. From a filmmaking standpoint, I guess. I always thought it was kind of astounding that David Hayter is also the voice of Solid Snake right? in the Metal Gear Solid series up until the most recent installment. Screenwriter and voice actor. Yeah, David Hayter is responsible for this and Watchmen. <laughs> yeah. And of course, the Scorpion King. Let's not forget that. Femke okay, Jensen, one of the probably the most successful Bond girls of all time? Yes, without question. Easily. She's basically the only one that had a career after being a Bond girl. There is Halle Berry. Yep. <laughs> well, well, she was before. She was Bond girl. She was pretty. You know, and it took had... her years to come back after being a Bond girl. Same with. Terry Hatcher. She um, was doing great till Tomorrow Never Dies. It took her ten years before, uh, eight awesome. years before Deborah Housewives. I think you're forgetting a little movie called Catwoman. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'd, I'd make an argument for Michelle Yeoh. That is true. I mean, I'm sure she still does stuff that doesn't get domestic release here. No, that's a good point, Jim. Actually, Michelle Yeoh is a. Is, yeah. It, She's certainly more successful than a lot of others because a lot of other Bond girls are, you know, models. Well, Eva Young stuck around. Yeah. Eva Green? Eva Green. Yeah. I'm sorry, Eva Green. But yeah, Eva Green, I mean, that, those Bond films are, you know, different, I would say. Yeah. Uh, in terms yeah. of what they're trying to do with them. And, and Judy has. Dench, she still has a career. But classic hottie Bond girl, <laughs> Judy Dench, you're right. Yes. <laughs> Who can forget her stunning two-piece bikini? <laughs> yeah. Sadly, I cannot. I, I sky fell down on my chair after that one. Oh. <laughs> you know. Dench never dies, that's what I say. Except in Skyfall. <laughs> and I'm done. <laughs> and scene. And that should have been the end of their relationship. This scene where he just says, okay, bye-bye. Technology later barred by Kryptonians and Man of Steel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a codex on that table. Oh, don't tell Zod. <laughs> I will find it! Yeah, I like how this movie's, you know, there's slight cliffhanger, but I mean, it's pretty self-contained. It is. So it is. if if there was if it failed, I mean, there's no. It, it kind of like okay, we jumped into this universe for a bit, and we can easily imagine you know things that go from here. It's not like oh, 
didn't finish it, I mean, if it would have failed and no more X-Men movies, it would have been fine like this. I mean, it's neat to see how a lot of these movies, some of them want to, you know, play as movies, and some of them want to play as comic books. And I feel like the X-Men movies more or less play like comic books. They feel like arcs that, you know, take place over the course of maybe like a three-issue arc or something like that and then mm-hmm. end. Yes. I would I would argue that for the Spider-Man movies, the um the Amazing Spider-Man movies, I I feel like issues aside, they you could split up those movies into like three-piece comic book sets and be fine. I think Spider-Man 2 does that tremendously just because of the colors and use and the way the film make the confidence of the filmmaking by Mark Webb on display in that movie. Uh, regardless of plotting, I mean it feels like a comic book. The same could be obviously said for Hulk. Um and a lot of the some of the some of the Marvel movies like like the Thor ones feel more comic booky to an extent, and like the third Spider-Man movie, problems with that movie aside, it feels like a big comic book, a big colorful comic book movie. Like, uh, well, I mean, I know a movie that's a favorite of yours, Dick Tracy, is it? Tra- oh my god, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. About as and, comic oh, yeah. as it gets. It, by that and Sin City. I mean, they're, they, some of these filmmakers want to approach them as how the source material can like kind of be turned into this kind of big motion comic that's live action. Like, it's, it's, neat, to, it's neat to see the different approaches of whether or not you want to approach it on a cinematic level or as a I'm adapting this thing from another thing level. So what I want to know is, did Senator Kelly just disappear at one point and no one ever found his body? I'm well, curious where TMZ Mystique. was with the beach thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> well, like, did nobody else fill him in X2. Yeah, is she going to be Senator Kelly for the rest of her life? Yeah. <laughs> and when she's not, you know, what's going to happen to the Mutant Registration Act when it turns out the main proponent who changed his vote at the last minute was actually a mutant in disguise? That's going to be a problem. I don't know the recall rules in New York, but I mean, uh, we'll see. After she becomes human in uh, Last Stand, she has to go and say, well, I was Senator Kelly the whole time. Exactly. No, it's a a minor detail that always amused me. I mean, we already talked about the various holes in some of the plotting of this movie (laughs) based on the inherent thing about mutant powers. Uh, These two men do not know how to play chess before this movie. That's, uh, yep, that's 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 true. That's true. It's true. These two English gentlemen, who you think would you know probably were raised playing chess, do, did not know how to play chess before making X Men. I love the epic, epic series of terrible selfies. moves. I love the epic series of selfies they've taken. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So. Yes. Oh my God. Uh, yeah, yeah. Ian and Pat take Manhattan has been amazing. Mm. What strikes me about this film is that more than any film that I you know of this nature that I had seen up to this point, it felt like a television pilot. And yes, the story that it's telling is self-contained, but, I mean, yeah, I used to do a joke, Brandon's actually probably heard this routine, but, you know, the alternate ending of this film is, you know, you know, Charles, this plastic prison can't hold me. I'll be out of here by summer 2002, possibly 2003, to which Patrick Stewart turns the camera, and I will always be there, old friend, at a theater near you. (laughs) (laughs) Points at the camera, freeze frame, directed by Brian Singer. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, the first time I saw this, you know, it was such an obvious sequel setup, you know, that I, frankly, at that level, brazenly, I guess, I had never seen before. Um, I mean, yeah, you know, you had films that ended on cliffhangers, but again, no one was really expecting a Super Mario Brothers 2. Um, but something like this, I'm like, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Um, well, yes, when my, when my daughter... We watched the, the Incredibles. She was expecting a sequel. Like, is there going to be another one? Like, uh, yeah, I guess so. What? You know, I want another one. Yeah, so do you and all the nerds. Finding uh, Dory. Exactly. A sequel to Incredibles. I, I, I love the idea of a plastic prison. By the way, yes. I don't, I, I don't think that's awesome. actually. 
I, I wonder if that's actually possible, but at the same time, it's like, that's very clever. I'm, I'm curious how they got that, like, picked, like, made up real quickly. Like, did they... Like, how far does his, his power, does it block his power, the plastic? I'd imagine there's something done that... Uh, I'm just curious how they got that set up in time. Like, was he, was, did his, like, human in a coma for, like, a, like, a, like, you know, three months before they finished this prison that they didn't have that I'd up? I'd imagine he's the... been captured before. And that was... That's fair, yeah. We'll see in Doff, I guess. In Doff, I think he starts out captured, right? Yeah, that's what it seems like, yeah. Let's say the bidding on that project alone would have taken over a year. Do you think in Days of Future Past... Well, contractor. Do you think in Days of Future Past that Magneto was planning to get caught the whole time? <laughs> uh, I hope so. I'm looking at the X-Men poster which has the weird tagline of trust a few, fear the rest, which seems to go against some of the ideas. Yes. Uh, but also the World Trade Center buildings are in the background of the poster. Oh, awkward. Oh, my. The original theatrical poster, so um, obviously that's changed because X-Men is terrible. This poster is terrible, too, by the way. It's like, look at these shady people. You don't recognize any of them. One of them has claws, so that's probably Wolverine. They were probably <laughs> shady because of the re- negative reaction to the publicity still. Yeah. I remember I, 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 um, I went to a comic book convention. They gave me, they were giving out free, like the first 200 people, like the free movie poster for X2. It's like, oh, great. I loved X-Men. And then they handed me the poster. I'm like, oh. Was it just it was an just X? like a giant X on yeah. it with a few like floating heads. And... Oh, that one. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. Again, yeah, yeah. all yeah. these terrible <laughs> posters. Like... Well, and then X-Men The Last Stand was like, the first one was just an X with Wolverine holding his claw off. Make a three. The yeah. three. And then that was followed by, like, let's order them in order of importance. So it's like Wolverine. And then Allie angle Bear, it. And then, like, angle, angle tilt it. it at an angle. Probably blue and orange. Just guessing. On that Which one. they kind of use that again for first class. Mm-hmm. The whole, like, ooh, look, angle. Yep. Like, we're in a 60s Batman villains hangout. First class, like, there was so much potential. Because you see so many fan posters for these two. It's like, how did, what, like, what's happening? Like, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe we'd not have a second weekend drop if the posters were better. Uh, yeah. Uh. Yep. Well, yeah. This is uh This was fun. I like talking kitty about Jubilee. Sumila uh, Sumila K was the first Kitty Pride. And the best. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know. X X two. She gets she gets her key scene. Runs through a bunch of people. Yeah. I was a big fan of Ellen Page's Kitty Pride. Oh, I nothing against her. I I think she's fine. I I she's not as because I I've been ta- I've talked about how I don't think Jennifer Lawrence is a very good mystique, at least in that first class movie. I don't think she's very good. No, but we'll see. Hopefully, given you know who she's Jennifer Lawrence now, like maybe she'll be better in Days of Future Past. But um, say it like that. You loved her in The Beaver. You loved her in Winter's Bone. <laughs> but uh, Ellen Page is. It, Given what I know, how capable she is as an actress, it feels like she wasn't really trying for me for Eckbergity. No, some of the battle scenes, she just seems so like little. <laughs> that was her first big movie too. Yeah, but I mean, it's not like they give her a whole lot to do, to be honest. I mean, yeah, she had a really good chase sequence too. I love that ju- Juggernaut chase sequence with her from an action standpoint. I think it uses their powers both pretty well and. I, I, I think it was suspenseful because at, at that point they were just killing off people, and I figured since she was, you know, like a, you know, the the complication between Bobby and Rogue that you know she'd be an easy person to kill off, keep I, Bobby and Rogue together, and so it was pretty suspenseful. I think all the action involving Juggernaut, Juggernaut that doesn't involve 
the Vinnie Jones speaking is actually pretty terrific. (laughs) I think that fight in the, in Gene Gray's house is one of the best action sequences of the whole franchise, mainly because you have a scene where Juggernaut is fighting Wolverine. He tosses him up through the roof and then he comes down in another part of the roof, which is like hilarious. It is awesome to see. (laughs) It's like, that's cool. Mixed with, you know, the drama of, you know, professor X trying to face off against this new form version of Jane Gray. Some say it's the Phoenix. Phoenix. Hmm. Well, uh, I, I mean, the movie's ending. The movie's, you know, the credits are going and everything. So um, thanks again to all the listeners that, you know, st- st- stick through these commentaries. I know people like these commentaries. So, you know, glad to pack it with information, which is what we try to do with these. And uh, with that all said, uh, where, can, where can people find more of your guys' work? Scott? Forbes. Uh, basically Forbes. Brent? Uh, Why So Blue and my blog, Naptown Nerd. Uh, where I'm currently writing about X-Men. And follow me on Twitter at BTPeters. I'll be sure to uh, put the link to your retrospectives for X-Men in the show notes for this episode. Uh, Jim? Lots of podcasting stuff going on at HHWLOD.com. I have on my blog, Retropolis, over on the Taylor Network of Podcasts. I'm doing a year-by-year retrospective of my favorite movies of the 80s. So I'm up to 1984 now. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, I'm at Aaron's PS4 on Twitter. Um, the code is Zeke.com. You can find my written review, movie reviews there, as well as at WhysTheBlue.com. And, um, of course, out now with Aaron and Abe, you can find our podcast on iTunes, HHWLOD.com, which is, of course, where Jim also hosts a number of shows. OutNow.Podomatic.com. OutNowPodcast.Gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts on X-Men or the X-Men franchise in general. Um, and, of course, like and follow our pages, Facebook.com slash OutNowPodcast and Twitter.com slash OutNow underscore podcast. And, uh, yeah, this is uh, it's been fun. Um, I, I I look forward to when we do another entry in the X Men franchise because there's a lot there's lots to talk about in these movies just given how much is going on. We'll be back summer 2016, possibly 2017, <laughs> at a podcast near you. And with that, until next time, so long and goodbye. <laughs>